Welcome to the Wealth Radar podcast, where we scan the landscape and navigate the noise of investing in personal wealth. I'm Paul Fowler, and I'm joined by my brother Jason. We are both certified financial planners from Fowler's Group. And in this episode, we are joined by actually one of our clients. Uh, he's been a very successful tourism operator in North Queensland, sorry, and specifically Cairns, a great advocate for that industry itself. Actually, a really good bloke, which yeah, is Andy. Not a bad bloke. A good, not a bad bloke. <laughs> he's a pretty good bloke. Probably had to cut his gym sessions short this morning to get here, so we appreciate that. Um, but welcome, James Dixon. Thank you. Nice to be here, guys. <laughs> Mate, thanks, James, very much for agreeing to come on and chat to us on the podcast um, and share your financial and business journey with the listeners. Hopefully there's a few thousand of them out there now where we get such a dignified man as you on. <laughs> so, mate, it, I just think it'd be interesting to sort of go back and understand a little bit how does a builder from country New South Wales end up running a tourism business in Cairns, North Queensland? Yeah, good question. Um, I suppose it's I've always uh, used the line that I was conceived on the backseat of a bus, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is... Uh, Mum and dad owned buses um, from the day I was born. Literally, yep. uh, dad owned uh, a few school runs actually in central mm-hmm. New South Wales, and um, so yeah, we grew up around around buses. Um, I think I drove my first bus at eight years old. So wow. uh, we used to back the buses out of the shed for dad and put them on the street. And then as we got a little bit older, we'd take them for a lap around the block without him knowing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, it was never really. Uh, I mean. They were just part of our life, really. And our older brother Phil, he uh, he actually took the business over from Dad, and uh, he expanded it and actually got into tourism, uh, operating tourism businesses okay. in Central New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born and bred in West Wyalong, so he started doing tours up through the territory, etc. And quite funny, a funny little story that goes with that is that Phil's first tour up through the territory, put together a twenty-five day tour and ended up. Uh, filling it with local West Wallong people come home and when they got home a lady come up to him and said, Phil, that was a great trip but I've been with Australian Pacific before and they actually tell you a little bit about the country you're travelling through. <laughs> it would be nice if you actually talked to us. But anyway, um, so, yeah, Phil actually uh, moved to Brisbane and okay. set up a um, down under tours in Brisbane. He sort of got as big as he could get in West Wallong. Right. And I was a builder, as you alluded to, in West Wyalong at the time, um, that was in uh, the early 80s um, and the building industry just fell flat and that's, yep. uh, you know, there was nothing happening. So that's when Phil said, well, why don't you uh, come up to, to Brizzy and join me? And I started doing um, extended tours around the country. I was only, I was only 21. I'd never been north of, uh, north of Brisbane and my first tour was a 54-day tour around Australia wow. with, uh, with 17 wow. people. Um, so you got good at making up the stuff? Is that what you're saying? I, I learned very, very quickly to, um, well, to bullshit your way through, <laughs> through anything. I, I initially started off by trying to pretend I knew what I was doing, but uh, my favourite saying was we're geographically embarrassed because I didn't have a clue, you know, you'd get yeah. yourself hopelessly lost. But... I mean, it turned out to be an absolutely brilliant experience. We all had a, a bucket load of fun. But I ended up doing that for um, around four years with Phil okay. in Brisbane, doing tours all over the country. What, what, what did it look like then, 
James, the business. So there was you driving a bus. Was Phil driving as well yeah, back Phil, then? Or what? Phil used to, Phil did a lot of tours in the early days, and by yeah. this stage, Phil was pretty much running the business. He had, he would have had a fleet of uh, what do you have about eight, uh, eight to nine coaches doing extended okay. tours, but okay. he covered the whole country, and. Southeast Queensland at that time, there was no operator in Southeast Queensland and um, APT with the big company. Um, yeah. And Phil, he just exploded. He did exceptionally well. Um, and uh, it was a very, very well recognised brand down under at that point. Um, so, yeah, he had, a, he had a fleet of drivers and, yeah. you know, we did camping, safaris, accommodated tours, et cetera, et cetera. So right. we, we pretty much covered the whole spectrum of... Uh, but that was also, I suppose, in the glory days of coaching. Yep. Mm-hmm. Everybody would do a, a coaching holiday if they wanted to go and see Australia. So, um, but, yeah, he then decided that he, he wanted to expand into Cairns um, and he, uh, he bought an old bus company uh, up here. It was actually Northlands. Uh, oh, yeah, um, the old school bus company. Uh, yeah. Maroon and white, if I Correct. remember. Correct. It was, wow. yeah. And it was the one that also unfortunately had that that, yeah, accident, uh, that little the accident up in the gillies that we'll never forget. But yeah, um, eleven for me. But yeah, he also bought the Yorkies knob um, Yorkies knob bus run, etc. But he, he didn't have a manager for it at the time, or he couldn't find yep. a manager. And I stupidly put my hand up and said, "Well, I'll go up and manage it for you." Uh, Jan and I had just got married at that point, so. Yeah, we moved. Uh, we moved up to Cairns. I knew nothing about managing a business, absolutely zero. Um, so it was the school of hard knocks, pretty much, with with everything you did. But um, that's what brought me to Cairns. So when was that? The late eighties. Yeah, that was. Um, Jana, I'll kill me because it was the day after our wedding, pretty wow. much, or the week after our wedding. What a honeymoon straight uh, to Cairns. Yeah. Well, we actually went on a camel safari, which you believe, you? for our honeymoon and. Took four of our close friends with us, and no, we're not swingers. Um, so, but um, but yeah, so that was yeah, that was the late eighties. Yeah, eighty yep. um, seven we yep. moved up, um, and then uh, as part of what we were doing up here, Phil took over Sunliner Day Tours, um, which was back in the Sunliner. They had they were Express Coach yep. Company running up and down, and. That's what got us into our day tours um, at the time. Right. We started operating a little product up to Coranda, mm-hmm. which just went off like a bomb mm-hmm. uh, up on the train, Jabakai, et cetera, et cetera. It's still pretty much operating today, yep. the same product. But that was our first foray into tourism. I knew nothing about tourism either as in um, you know, what to do or how to do it. But fortunately I got to know some wonderful people in this town that – uh, you just clicked with, and uh, they gave us a hand and helped us along. So, was it a pretty exciting time to be in Cairns? Like, if you, that was the late eighties, that's when I finished school, and then I went off to university. And I, re- I remember, I used to come home. You know, I'd be away for maybe five months or whatever it was for a university term, and I'd come home, and I'd jump in a car, and I would drive around the city to see how many buildings had been built. Like. It, it, the place exploded. I think it we was. went from something like 40,000 people to 110,000 people inside a decade. Like it was absolute explosion of a town. It was. It was. You were sort of you're back to you had um, 
Compass Airlines. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Mm. One, two, and three. <laughs> One, two, and three. They had three guys, yeah, and all of them, they were they were wonderful for us. The numbers were just yep. incredible. You had Daikyo yep. uh, in town. Um, My first employer when I came to university. university. Yep. Oh, there you go. It's, um, but it was. It was a very exciting time and it was a, a really exciting time within the industry as well because the, the people in the industry, uh, they were just a brilliant bunch of people. We, yeah. we talk about that a bit and we've spoken about it previously. Dad's mentioned it and we did a podcast with him at the start and he said that our industry is very similar. Back in when he started, you had people in the industry. No one really, while you're competitors, everyone gave each other the knowledge they had so everyone could, could flourish. Correct. So my take on that is that the tourism industry certainly back then was the, the same. Absolutely. It really was. You know, the early pioneers, your George Chapman's, yep. uh, uh, yeah, Charlie Woodward, uh, they, were, they were a real group of real early pioneers yep. that were responsible for the international airport, et cetera, um, and that's, that put cans on the map, that international yeah. airport. But um, the group of people that I come in with, um, the whole focus of the industry was it was all about uh, because internationally we weren't necessarily still that well-known. Right. You'd have to sit down with agents and you'd literally have to show them on a map where Cairns was, you know, which is hard to believe. But yeah. that's the way it was. But the focus was always Cairns first. I mean, sorry, Australia first, yep. Queensland second, uh, Cairns third, your own product fourth. Yep. And that was pretty much the way you marketed the destination. And it was a joint effort, you know. Mm-hmm. You'd, yeah, we'd be on a road show with Tropic Wings as our competitor, but... Yep. You know, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't about competitors. It was about just promoting the destination. And it brought a camaraderie amongst everybody that just – and we were – Cairns was known as the, you know, the the Rat Pack or the uh, – <laughs> it was the Cairns Mafia. We had yeah. numerous terms in the Australian tourism industry. Uh, but that's because we hunted as a pack. Yep. Everywhere we went, it was always as a pack and always about the destination first. And – I think it's unfortunately probably one of the things we've lost a little bit now with not so many owner-operators and, yeah. you know, with businesses being sold to multinationals. But back then it was a marvellous time and we had, a, we had a bucket load of fun too yeah. doing what we did. So I'm, I'm sure you did because there were some really colourful people in amongst that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we, we won't go there. Yes. <laughs> so so you, the initial tours that you did essentially outside travelling around Australia was you mentioned it certainly up here was the Coranda tour. Yeah, it was day And then how did you then grow those day tours or how did that evolve well, over well, time? Yeah, it was interesting. Phil, unfortunately, over that time, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, 17% interest yeah. rates. You know, uh, the, yeah. the pilot strike then hit um, and it was just a torrid, horrid time. He also put a lot of money into a um, – into a a computer booking company, uh, mm-hmm. Tourcom, and a culmination of all those things together uh, brought Phil unstuck because his tourism just dried up. It dried up mm-hmm. here. It dried up for him in Brisbane. Um, so unfortunately Phil uh, went into receivership and that's when Gordon... Uh, Gordon's your other brother. Gordon is my other brother. He was actually working for Phil at the time as well in okay. Brisbane. Uh, but he and I, it was like, well, you know what, there's something in Cairns. Uh, why don't we have a look at it? And with the help of a family friend, because mm-hmm. we didn't have two bob to rub together, um, he uh, he helped us. We had the Great Adventures contract doing okay. their pickups at the time yep. and 
they stuck with us. Um, we got a lot of thank Ronnie Livo for that, um, you know, but they hung in there with us. And um, we were able to buy the coaches um, from the receivers and um, we pretty much fired the business up again uh, about three months after Phil went into receivership. So it was January 1990. So, so how, how many coaches was that? That you had purchased then, how many? Uh, we, the GA contract only had two coaches, mm-hmm. so we, we took on two of those and we hung on to two. Yep. Uh, and then we purchased more. Um, at the same time, about three months later, you had the Lux Coach Lines fall over. Um, okay. You had the big express company. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that brought a glut of coaches on the market, which was good for us at the time because um, all of a sudden there was a, all these coaches available. Um, I was doing all of the inbound marketing at the time and there was a big hole in Alice Springs, Ayers Rock um, for charter services out there and okay. I made the silly suggestion that we should move to Alice Springs, Ayers Rock and set up an operation out there, um, which we did. And uh, we went and purchased more coaches uh, for Alice Springs, Ayers Rock. So all of a sudden we were not only Cairns, we yeah, were in okay. Alice and Ayers and... It's a rapid expansion. Mm. It was a rapid expansion and I always say, or Gordon and I laugh about it now, but, you know, I think we had bigger balls and brains. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it was just – but that's pretty much the way we approached our whole business back then. There was was a certain amount of due diligence but nowhere near what should have been. But, hey, you know, it it worked and Alice was – it was a nightmare to operate. Uh, You're talking – Every trip's 550 k's and you're talking about the most isolated centre yeah. in the country. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we learnt a lot. Ignorance quickly. is bliss sometimes. Oh, it is. It so is. how long did you continue out there? Or oh, we, it- we had that business. We didn't sell it until uh, we sold that in 2013. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, we operated out there for 13 years yep. and very successfully. All we did out there, we didn't operate a day tour or a touring program. We were purely a charter operator. So all we did was look after inbound or international groups. So people would physically charter the vehicle to look after a group. We didn't actually go out and sell tours as such. And the reason for that was Ayers Rock was a closed shop. You know, you couldn't get in there um, and sell tours out of the Rock. Uh, Alice Springs, it was still in its heyday back then. Yeah, uh, not like it is today, unfortunately. Mm. But um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting it was an interesting ride. Is, is there is there a moment in the journey? I might be skipping forward. We can go back, but where you you mentioned before you started with the two bus or the four buses, sorry, the two the Great Adventures, yeah. then you opened up in Alice. Is there a moment in time where you sort of just went from point A to Point Z really quickly, or was it a slow build over time, or did you just make some big decisions at certain times that came off? Or yeah, we oh, look, we did some crazy stuff. Um, it, yes, there was Paul. It was a fairly, it was a fairly rapid expansion initially. Um, so you know, we went from four vehicles. I said in Cairns, we ended up with uh, around fifteen to twenty fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, our Central Australian operation, we would have had 13 vehicles out there. Wow. Um, so it was, it was, it grew relatively quickly. Um, and they were also pretty good days. Yeah. You know, they, they, um, you know, 
Compass Mark One and Two was um, was exceptional for our Cairns business uh, and the day touring programs. But then you know international tourism also mm-hmm. really kicked and kicked hard. Uh, we started um, you know some great Japanese numbers yep. Yep. Uh, back then as well. So it was. Yeah, it was a fairly rapid growth. I mean, at our peak, we ended up with, you know, close to 70 vehicles, 140-odd staff. Um, You know, we were operating, uh, you know, we did stuff up to Weeper. Um, We operated a, um, started a a backpacker product, a three-day tour from Cairns to Alice Springs across uh, of the 2,200 Ks. 1,800 of them were on dirt road. Wow. Uh, we'd go out through the Plenty Highway and... Uh, the Plenty Highway. You want yeah, to be in a coach. In a wow. coach. Uh, we'd do that. Uh, and we'd do that three times a week, both ways. For anyone who hasn't done it, I've done it once with my family, not realising what it was. It's a wild highway. Oh, it's a wild highway. <laughs> I'm glad we did it, but not yeah. at the time. Oh, it's... It's amazing. I mean, you'd have the appreciation yeah. for we used to do a, a, the product out there called the Nothing Walk. Yeah. You know, and the Nothing Walk is where from horizon to horizon it's it's not even a tree. Yeah. You can literally see the curvature of the earth and you've only got to walk 20 metres away from the coach. And it's the first time I ever realised what when yeah. that people say the sound of silence is deafening. Yeah. It's the first time I ever experienced it. It was just quite eerie to walk out into the middle of nowhere on your own and Silence is just, it is deafening. It's unbelievable. Couldn't even hear the coach that was running 20 metres away. It was amazing. Wow. But, yeah, backpackers loved it. They absolutely loved it. But, unfortunately, we couldn't make it work because backpackers had only, uh, they wouldn't pay more than the airfare. Right. At that point, that was quite a well-routed route by by Qantas Qantas and others and we could only get 300 bucks a a ticket and it's just not enough money to be running over that road. So... Yeah, we had to pull that. Wow. And so with that evolution that happened over that period of time, do you think the fact that it was effectively family, you and your brother and, as you said, you didn't necessarily so you were just going that allowed you to make some of those decisions that maybe if there was, dare I say, more structure, more cohesion in place may not have happened? Absolutely. Gordon and I talk about it now. Um, And, you know, we say, boy, boy, if we'd... If you if you know if you knew business like you know business now, what would have we done yeah. back then? And it's like we well, just you wouldn't have done probably you know two thirds of it. Yeah. Um, because a lot of it was like, geez, I had this idea. You know, what if we? Done it? I said, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's give that a go. Um, so <laughs> that was pretty much the due diligence. Um, yeah. So you'd go, yeah, well, we'll 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 give that a give that a bow, and you'd throw it together and. So like, oh, that didn't work. Um, oh well, move on. Let's go um, again. Yeah, yeah, we'll look at the next one, mate. How did, how did the synergy go there between you and you and Gordon going into to business together in regards to? Uh, did you actually sit down and say, right, oh, I'm going to run this part and you're going to do this part, or did you just go, no, we're just all in and we'll just yeah. run off each other as we go? Was there oh, any I think it, planning around that? Well, I think it was. Our roles were pretty obvious from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. I always did the sales and marketing for the organisation. Uh, that was pretty much. I mean, initially, I was doing, I was doing sales operations. You, you know, you were doing everything because yeah. we were so small. Um, but sales was always my forte. Um, so I'd, I'd go and chase the business. Um, you know, 
And when you're in market, you're always looking for, you know, well, what's what should the next product look like? Yep, what yep. is it that you need? So, you know, you'd come back and say, look, this is what the feedback, this is what the clients are telling us they're looking for. Uh, Gordo was always big on the financial side of the business. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, he was always good on, I mean, for me, uh, workshops were, you know, places that you just threw vehicles and someone else would fix them and they'd come out working, um, <laughs> yep. as they should. But uh, but so Gordo was all over that. He's always been. He used to get out in the shed and tinker with Dad where uh, my mum would make me stay inside and cook cakes with her. So I never really <laughs> had a... Um, Never really had a big interest in the uh, in the workshop. So Gordo would look after the finance, the operational side, and and the workshop side. I'd look after product delivery, uh, the product development, and sales. So that was you know pretty much the way it had always yep. been. But no, look, it was a wonderful dynamic. Um, uh, we really, you know, not only were we brothers, we uh, not only did we work together, we'd holiday together. We'd go up the lake skiing together. It was just a wonderful, wonderful relationship. And, and your wives were involved in the business, absolutely. Jan and, uh, yeah, Jan Helen. and Helen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yep. They were they were both in the business. Hel would um, she'd do local sales. Uh, Jana was in admin. Uh, she was always you know my right hand, my yep. rock. Um, so yeah, and I mean, look, hey, it's it wasn't all smooth sailing. No, as you guys would know, sitting around the boardroom table. Uh, there was some interesting conversations, um, you know, when it's funny, I think some of the staff, when they first saw Gordo and I have a, let's call it a debate, um, around a boardroom table, they'd go, wow, oh, yeah. these blokes really go at each other uh, because, yeah, we'd have some pretty serious conversations. and But that's the way we did it. It was you just you'd say what you had to say and then you move on. Yeah, it's it's yeah. interesting how families, like families, I mean we're a family business as you know and I talk to other people, it's either got that dynamic where you can throw that grenade yep. and then deal with it and then walk away like the grenade's not thrown. Correct. Whereas other people just can't throw the grenade and stuff. Or, or they you. can't get over the oh, grenade, grenade being yeah, 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 absolutely yep. correct. Um, but no, look, that was... And look, we're still the best of mates, yep. um, and always have been, always will be. So, um, but yeah, look, there were some, there were some pretty tough times. So, um, what do you, what, what, what are some of the things that got you through those times when you know we <laughs> weren't so good? Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, there were there were quite a few ups and downs, but um, I think the the time from 2008 to 2011 for us was probably our hardest. That's off the back of uh, what is referred to as the GFC. The GFC, it, well, we'd, we were starting to, you know, have some challenges. This, and this was when we were actually at our peak as well. Um, that's where we had, you know, 75, 76 vehicles, 130 staff. We are trying to be all things to all people. Yeah. Um, and it was just... It was a it was a nightmare. We were starting to struggle. We were we were flat out going broke. I suppose is mm. the the best way to put it. And yeah, there were some pretty serious conversations that had to be had. And what we did, it's you know, it was probably a, also a time that taught us the most about okay. business. Yeah. But we went out and sought um, professional help. Yep. It's like, well, this ain't working. We should get somebody in uh, to tell us what's wrong with this business. And we did that. We actually got Craig Pocock. Um, 
he came in and uh, had a good look at the business and and then he uh, he sort of come in and threw the report on the table and it was it was fairly soul searching yeah. um, and it was yeah it was like wow so funnily enough we said to him all right smart ass if that's the problem uh, we're going to employ you to help us fix it so we did we brought Craig in and we we reshaped the business. Three times. Okay. Oh, right. So, you know, we went in and made some major cuts and there were some pretty hard decisions to make there, really hard decisions. Um, when, you know, you, when you say reshape, what what, direct, what do you mean by well, that? Well, we shut down DV, Desert okay. Ventura. You okay. know, that was like, well, yeah. that's, you know, to do a, a proper analysis on that and it's like, let's well, just not making money mm-hmm. and never will. So shut it, bang. So we literally did that overnight. Yep. Um, and we did that in every facet of the business, uh, as in that we literally pulled it apart. We looked at, you know, did a proper P&L yep. uh, on, on each part of the business. And Gordo was really big on this anyway in breaking down the silos of the business yep. and having each silo uh, have its own profit centre. Yep. Um, so if anything wasn't making money, it was gone. I think that's a that's a that's really a good, good tip, right? Because a lot of people who get into small business and then it starts to grow, it, it, they they get caught in the growth, and I've Correct. just got to keep feeding the animal and and don't actually critically analyze individual pieces of the growth. Really is easy that, to do, yeah. yeah, and especially small businesses or med- even medium sized yeah. businesses and family businesses as well. And I guess it's one of the things that we learnt um, pretty quickly. Is or at that time was that you're only as good as the people you got around you, mm. and you should always aim to employ people smarter than yourself. Um, and certainly that's what we did. Um, and uh, the other thing that we learned as well over that period is that you know make sure you reward them properly. Yeah, you know I think one of the mistakes that some family businesses or small businesses can make because you're trying to struggle to to make ends meet, you try and skimp wherever you can mm-hmm. and you'll pay award wages. Well, if you want good people, award wages is not going to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, especially your your management team and you, you – but, you know, really it should relate to anybody and everybody. Was it, was it just about um, pay rate, for example, or were there other no. things you talk about? With, I mean, obviously pay is a well, major one. Yeah, I think it's like anybody in any role, Paul, you – everybody – wants to feel like, one, they're achieving something in their role. No one wants to turn up to work and just go through the motions. And, you know, it's one of the things that, and again, this was, you know, Gordo drove a lot of this as well. Um, But it was about giving ownership Mm. to the people that work for you, to their role. Don't just bring them in and give them a job. Um, You know, we were very open with our P&Ls from that point going forward. We'd sit down and we'd... Every month the P&L would go up on the board, this, you know, the, the, the leadership team would sit around and everyone would have to talk to their own department. Yeah. So they'd come in and talk to the numbers and that gave them ownership mm. of their, 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 uh, their roles, their department and if they were starting to blow out, well, they had to answer for it. Um, but, you know, it was also incredibly rewarding for them yep. because they'd come in and go, you know, oh, look at that, that's working. Yeah. You know, this is what I've been able to achieve. I've been able to change this and do this and that's resulted in, you know, X, Y, Z. So it was a uh, it was a fascinating time as hard as it was because of the decisions that we had to make. 
But once we made them, because we actually started making the changes before the GFC. Right. Um, and it was, it was interesting. A lot of people said, oh, you blokes are geniuses. How, <laughs> how did you see the GFC coming? So I don't know. We knew it. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, so we were sort of half prepared. Right. Um, when that happened, although we still had to go in and do some remodelling. But what came out the back end of that uh, was just a totally different business. And, you know, all of a sudden we started to make money, um, you know, good money. So it was um, uh, for us probably the hardest but the greatest and the best learning curve we could have went through. So at what point did you think about the succession out of DUT or down under tours? Was that something that was planned? Was was that? Yeah, interesting and it's a good question. It's... um, we had talked about, um, you know, what are we going to do with this business? Are we going to – I mean, there are always conversations through the tough periods. Oh, yep. bugger it, let's sell this bastard. You know, this is – let's just – I'll go back to building and, you know, you can go and do whatever you do, Dick. But um, it was – there wasn't – at the time, there wasn't a serious succession plan. We did have a – just Gordon, Helen, Jan and I – sat down and, you know, had a, locked ourselves in a room for a couple of days to say, well, what does our ultimate world look like? Yep. And what does it look like in 10 years' time? You know, where do you want to be? What do we want to get out of this business? Da-da-da-da-da. Um, and we did that but didn't come out of that planning stage, I suppose, with an ultimate plan. Mm-hmm. The sale of the business um, literally come out of the blue. Anthony Hayes was... He was a man. I sat on. Uh, I sat on a, the Australian Tourism Export Council board with him for a number of years. So I got to know him quite well. And then he was the CEO of TEQ or Tourism Events Queensland, and had quite a bit to do with him there. Um, he was then the CEO of AAT Kings, and I still remember. I was just walking across. We're at the Australian Tourism Exchange, and I was just walking across in front of Darling Harbour, and Ant come up and said, "Hey." You want to sell your business? And it's like, <laughs> you can't afford us, mate. Um, <laughs> uh, they are AAT Kings is owned by the Travel oh, cool. Corporation, yep. which is the largest privately owned travel company on the planet. You know, if anyone could afford us, well, those blokes, they'd, yeah, they'd spill you on a Friday night. Yeah. Um, but it was, um, it's like, oh, well, I don't know, why, what, are you, what, what are you thinking? He said, oh, well, I, I, part of his charter was to, I suppose, try and dominate the, the tourism landscape. And he had said to the Tolman family, look, if you want to dominate coaching in Australia, you don't think you can move into Cairns and just set up a business in Cairns. He said, it won't happen. Uh, there's a business up there that just dominates mm-hmm. the international marketplace and you won't move people away from them. So he was given the charter by by Brett Tolman literally to... Go and buy us. So that's a that's a big that's a big kudos statement, right? It was a wonderful compliment. Mm. Yeah, it really was. You know, especially from someone like that. Yeah. Um, but no, it was it was a great compliment. Um, and it's funny you never you never think about any of that sort of thing. You just get on and do yeah. your business. And I mean, we'd always always part of our charter was to to just deliver the best product we could. And, I mean, we'd sit down with our drivers, our whole teams, and just say every day you go out there, you're going out there to deliver dreams because you know what it's like when you're on holidays yourself. I mean, as corny as that sounds, but 
people pay a lot of money to go and experience something. experience, yeah. So you need to go above and beyond. And if you're not going above and beyond, well, you know, you want people going away and not saying, oh, it was okay. You mm. want people going away saying, oh, it's just, that was amazing. That was that, brilliant. That's How long an easy, did, sorry, Paul, now there's a, that's an easy thing to say though, right? That, how do you actually, like we deliver dreams and, and yeah. I agree, like t- travelling and everything's all about experiences, but how do you actually embed that in the culture? Like that's that's something that obviously built over a long period of time and you must have been conscious of, I mean you talked earlier about feedback and talking to yeah. people about what they, was that sort of where that manifested from? Or? Oh, always. Yeah, I, uh, I suppose my role in, in being because you were an owner of a business but you were in the face of your customers all the time, um, you, got, you just got the honest hard feedback, you know, and it wasn't always like that. And I yeah. can tell you some of the, the early days feedback wasn't that complimentary. And I, you'd come back from a trip and it'd be just like, you know, we've got to do so much better at this. Mm. Um, you know, if I got a if I got any sort of negative feedback on the road, you'd jump straight on the phone from where you were the moment you walked out of the appointment. You go, hey, look, I've just had this feedback. You got to go and deal with this person, or we got to deal with this, or we got to blah blah blah. So, but you're right, it it takes time to breed that type of culture into a business. Um, but it's about consistency. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about making sure you don't just stand up and. Every you know, couple of months, you, then. You, you, you touch on it. It mm. literally has to be talked about every day, yep. and it needs to be talked about from uh, the person taking the phone call to the, the the person in accounts. You know, I used to always every everywhere I'd go, I'd always stick my head into the accounts room for all of our clients, and I got to know all the people in accounts. I did that for a number of reasons because yeah. we needed money. <laughs> and um, <laughs> if you knew the accounts persons, they'd pay you. They'd pay the people they like, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it was also, you know, part of our accounts team was, you know, look, we've got to be able to pay our bills on time, but build a relationship with your client. You know, you're, you're part of the sales team. Everyone's part of the sales team. And so you would just, we would talk about it consistently. You know, if you heard someone on the phone as you walked through, not so nice, you'd grab mm. them and just pull them. You wouldn't break them. You'd yep. just grab them and say, how's your day going? Yeah, you know, yeah. You're doing all right? Yep. Um, that, that last phone call, do you reckon there was any way you could improve on that? Um, so, yeah, you just worked at it consistently. James, I'm interested in going back to you crossing the road and getting the, the question from AAT Kings. Yep. Um, from that conversation, how long was the the process where there was some real interest or or when a transaction happened? Was there a – was it a year, two years? Three, or, yeah, it was. Like you had to get your head around it first. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great question, Paul, because it was interesting. Um, I had Drew Hamilton with us. He was our uh, DOS at the time, and you know, I sort of walked away from him. He said, "I, you know, I just said, I don't don't read too much into that, Drew. That's uh, that that won't happen." Uh, I come home and told Gordon, and I said, "I had an interesting conversation with Ant. You know, he said, you know, do you do you want to sell?" And it's like, "Oh, okay," um, and we didn't think a lot of it. At the time, and I certainly I didn't pursue it. I didn't yeah. go back to Ant. We left it. Um, we then get a phone call from Ant a couple of months later to say, you know, that conversation we had. Are you interested, or aren't you? And it's like, well, mate, if that's if that's your formal approach, 
you know, uh, kick the tyre walking across the parking lot, well, it ain't going to work. So if you're serious, you need to, you need to, you know, lay a few cards on the table. So that's where it started. Um, the process was a fairly lengthy process. It would have taken 18 months, mm-hmm. nearly two years um, from the first initial conversations. But what we did is we went and um, to move ourselves from the, the room to remove ourselves from the, um, the negotiations, we actually went and got a, a, a professional broker who we knew very well. He was a good mate as well. Um, but Michael Sewers uh, from Melbourne mm-hmm. and we got him to do all the negotiating for okay. us. Um, I mean, we were present, obviously, yes. but uh, Michael did the negotiations and, you know, I'd, I'd make that recommendation to anyone that's going to sell a yep. business. Um, go and get someone professional to sell it for you because um, he was just magnificent and what he uh, managed to achieve for us as an outcome was far better than anything we from, could have from, ever done. From what it looked like at the start of the negotiation, say the day one and then the end negotiations 18 months later, however long it took, yep. was there a massive difference or through well, that period was there a massive difference in regards to what the business was doing as well because there's well, there 18 was. months of business operations, was, buying buses? It was actually – it was interesting because um, we walked away from the deal three times. Right. Uh, where they, you know, physically put an, an offer on the table and, you know, one of the sticking points was we over – because there was no reservation system that we could buy off the shelf to deal with the complexities of our business, we built our own. We had an in-house IT team of six people. Right. Um, And Craig Shield was our head. He was just an amazing writer. And um, he come on board and we set up the, the, the IT business as its own identity, but the mistake we made is we didn't formalize it and make it its own company. Uh, but they believed that – and the system was extraordinary in what it could do for our business. And Brett Tolman himself, the owner of uh, the Travel Corporation, yeah, he was very blown away by the IT that we had. And uh, they wanted the IT to be rolled into the business. They said, well, no, that's part of the IP. Um, DUT owns it. And it's like, well, no, they don't. It's Craig Shields. You know, he's dedicated a lot of his time to it. Um, you know, therefore, no, it has to sit outside the sale. Um, and they said, well, it's not going to. I said, well, all right, well, we're not going to burn Craig after everything he's done, mm. so the deal's off. Um, so we walked away and, and then there were other issues yeah. and, yeah, so we walked away from it three times and, yeah, by the end of it, um, we'd also gone through probably two of our best trading years that we had. Um, and we came to a deal um, on the 14th of um, uh, 2014. We signed, uh, we signed the deal and it was a, it was a 60% sale. Uh, we retained 40% with the put and call put in place uh, for three years' time because they wanted okay. – they recognised that we were – a big part of the business. They mm-hmm. didn't want to buy the business and then we up and leave. They wanted us to hang around. Um, so that's the reason why they bought 60% with the put and call for three years um, to take out the other 40% um, three years later. And um, 
over that time, um, you know, from 2014-2018, they were our best trading years yes. wow. we'd, we'd, yeah. ever, we'd ever seen. And, um, in fact, the put and call because the, the sale of the business was based on the financial figures of that year. Um, it was our penultimate year, so timing-wise, everything about it was pretty amazing. So you so. you picked two. You picked the GFC and you picked a COVID. Oh, we're amazing. <laughs> no, we're absolutely. John <laughs> Bradman did that timing as good as that. Fair <laughs> it's, it's funny though, isn't it? Life isn't a. Mo- it's a funny yeah. old thing because there were so many other times where you had oh. such such downers and your timing was so shocking. Yeah. But probably to, yeah, the timing of both so those was pretty incredible. It was pretty amazing. Now, we, that's about when we got to know you was in that period of time. Correct. Um, and Gordon pretty much, when the put call happened, Gordon pretty much exited? Not straight away. Um, Gordon, he, before the put and call happened, um, started to play a greater role within AAT. Right. So AAT, he went down and started to run their national fleet uh, operations. So he was responsible for all of the workshops, Sydney, Melbourne, Alice Ayers, Rock, Darwin, wow. um, as well as up here. So he got fairly involved in that side um, with them initially and um, he actually moved or... He started doing two weeks in Sydney, two weeks up in Cairns. Um, so that was, yeah, look, I'm shocking with dates. So I should have checked a few, sorry. But I, it That's was right. around 2018 yeah. or just before the put and call anyway that he was doing that. Um, and then after after we sold, um, they then, Brett Tolman asked if I'd get more involved in AAT and I then took on their their um, national day tour program and their national short breaks program as well as uh, take over the running. They bought a little company out at Ayers Rock called See It. Mm-hmm. Um, so it involved managing that as well, as well as managing DUT. Um, and uh, Gordon and I would then alternate. So he'd do two weeks in Sydney, I'd fly in, he'd fly out. And we okay. just had the one apartment down there. Um, and we'd sort of just alternate between Cairns and Sydney. And, um, yeah, that was interesting. I was going to say, how did you find that transition? Because I know that was different. I I actually loved it. I really loved it. I really did. I enjoyed it, Uh, even though it was my eventual undoing. Mm. Um, I really did enjoy it because it was – it was just a new challenge, obviously, Mm -hmm. but the Mm. short breaks program was a bit of a mess. Um, and it just needed tidying up and, you know, it was just such a massive beast. Uh, everything you touched, you know, there was a, uh, there was so much behind it. You go, well, look, let's go and do this or something. No, you can't do that because that affects that, that mm-hmm. and that. So I'm like, Jesus. So it was a, it was a nightmare and unfortunately the, the business, they didn't really have that same passion for day touring that, you know, you'd had up here. You're right. Uh, that customer service that we're mm. talking about just wasn't there. Uh, so it was it was just hard. And again, operating day tours out in Ayers Rock, Alice Springs, it's tough. Yep. It's really tough. And, yeah, um, our program out at the Rock, um, y- your drivers are starting at 4 a.m. in the morning and they're finishing at 10 o'clock at night. 
Um, so it's it's all middle of the it's early morning stuff, late afternoon mm-hmm. stuff, and there is there's middle of the day stuff mm-hmm. as well. But just such long days, and then trying to get the right staff because uh, it's it's so transient. You know, Airs Rock. It's it's an amazing place. I love it. I, every time I go back there, there's something spiritual about that place. Mm-hmm. I can't Absolutely. explain. Yep. It's just an incredible place. But to run a business out there is just a nightmare. Did you ever get to climb it, James? Sorry. Did you ever get to climb it? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I yeah. did quite a few times in the yeah, early right. days yep. when I was driving for Phil. Yep. Um, yeah, I climbed it. You know, Mate, I, when the uh, the initial uh, 60% buyout was, how, how did that work with, with your business? You still had 40% in running it, but was there much, I guess, the major shareholder saying, hey, we want to do things this way mm-hmm. and you disagreeing with that or, or did it align pretty well? It they, seemed after the putting call was a bit different. Yeah, they they were uh, they were amazing. Yep, to work for and with. Uh, you know, I have to say that mm. Brett Tolman made it very clear right from the outset um, to the guys when they purchased us. It's like we buy the business and we leave them alone. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, we let them do their thing because. <laughs> In his words, you know, we're trying to aspire for our other day touring programs to to be like wow. DUT. What we're not going to do is buy DUT and AATify it. Was yep. his words right? So they pretty much left us alone, um, and all we would do, our, our really our only dealings with them was on a monthly basis. We'd have a P and L meeting with the um, with the Australian chairman and the. Uh, the overarching um, financial controller, mm-hmm. where we just run through the figures. Mm-hmm. Dave Hoskins, he was, um, he's just, I've never seen a bloke read a PL like he could, you know, and he just, he'd get the PL and he'd pick up one anomaly and watch this, you know, mm-hmm. it was just, yep. so yeah, we never, it was, it was quite a, an amazing period. And even after we sold, yep. uh, even with the running after we'd sold 100%. Probably the only thing they said was that because Gordo was always very fixed on buying Denning coaches. It had to be Yeah, Danning I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was nothing but and they were always Scania and all the rest. So uh, they just said we're not buying any more Dennings. Um, so, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's because they were so expensive, expensive compared yeah. to everything else. But, um, but no. Yep. So they left us alone pretty well, Paul, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, so you... I don't know, with the transition after and you're doing so much at a national level, um, how, do you want to talk through, because I know that was a difficult, like it became a yep. difficult time in the end, but you want to talk a little bit about how that went and then the realisation that where he had got to? Because yeah. ultimately you you were wanting to get out, right? That was always the plan, it was to stop yeah, at some it point. Yeah, it was. I, it's interesting. Um, Jan and I had, had this conversation quite a few times about where where and when you'd finish. And my aim was always to say, well, look, I, I believe I can I can keep going to 65, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I've got a few years left in me yet. So um, my, the plan was that I would, I would hang around and continue to do the national operation. Um, and what then, what happened obviously was COVID. Yep. Um, and... With COVID just brought a set of challenges like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I was starting to struggle a little bit with with the AAT culture. Yep, yep. 
Um, Gordon and I called it, or it was Gordo's term actually, he called it carer's disease, cover ass and resume employment. Um, <laughs> and that was pretty much, yeah, that was pretty much the culture. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I suppose I've got to be careful what I say here, but it was just. It, it was different a, to what you had it was, been doing, It was right? different to what we were doing yeah. and, you know, your people, everyone had their role and that was their role yeah. and you mm-hmm. never shared anything and, well, this is mine, what are you asking me questions about yeah. that for, that type of thing. So um, there wasn't necessarily a bucket load of help from above or from your peers within the group. So I was already starting to struggle with that. Um, but then when COVID hit, because of the complexities of the Central Australian business, um, you know, you'd have three coaches all running, doing 550 Ks each in three different directions that all would meet up, but they would all handle anything up to 16 different products. So uh, it was a nightmare, just an absolute nightmare. after you shut a business down to then try and fire it up again, mm. um, mm-hmm. it's just – it absolutely did my head in because, you know, you'd end up – you're trying to make sure the business is running financial or, or it is at least trying to cover its cost back then. There was no way you were ever going to be yeah. making money. But um, you'd make a decision on something and it would impact so many others. And in the end – when we tried to fire up the program out there, just to give you an example, we ended up, because there was nothing happening and all of a sudden everything came back, everyone's like, well, I can't go international. We just got smashed in in Central Australia. Everyone said, we're, we're going to go and have a look at it. Yep. We've never been there, we'll go now. Yep. We ended up uh, with just getting absolutely smashed with numbers. The challenge was we didn't have the staff yeah, because everyone had the, disappeared out of Central. Everyone had disappeared and yeah. you couldn't get them back. Yeah. So we're getting smashed and then I've had to go back and say, hey, guys, oh, look, I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to start cancelling some of these programs that we've just reinstated. We ended up having 2,000 bookings that we had to cancel. Wow. Um, because we just could not physically operate. So as you do, you take it all on board yourself yeah. mm-hmm. and I'll you just it absolutely just chewed me out because where I would sit in my office in Sydney, I was right outside the reservations room. You know, the reservations were out there and um, you were hearing them being berated and you just knew what those poor kids were going through. Mm. They were they were, it was like a one and a half hour phone wait anyway, because everyone was wanting to travel, so everyone's ringing up and trying to book yep. a tour. And then these poor guys have got to cancel two thousand bookings and oh it was it just – and it, it, that wasn't just that incident. There was incident after incident mm-hmm. after incident. And Jan kept saying to me, Dale, this is, this is tearing you apart. You know, yep. you've, you're taking everything on board way too seriously. Mm-hmm. You've just got to – you've got to make changes. Um, and it did. It was getting me down and I was not well uh, – I could feel I was not well, you know, from a health perspective – um, you were just you're dreading waking up every day. Um, it was it was a horrible time, and I went up to Darwin, and I can still remember it. It was 13th of May. Uh, I had just the worst week, mm-hmm. worst week I've ever had in a tourism job, and it's just it was just problem after problem after problem, and it, 
you know, even what happened in Darwin, it wasn't just Darwin, it was yep. Alice, it was everywhere yep. else. But I flew back into Cairns and literally fell in a heap. You know, yep. it just it smashed me. I got off the plane and that's what Jan said. Still get emotional thinking about it now. But you, she said, yeah, what's, what's, what the hell's happened to you? And I literally mm. went home and just crawled up on the floor. Yeah. And I was, I was a mess. Um, you know, mental breakdown, the whole bit pretty much. So, yeah, it tore me. I had, I was riddled with ulcers. I uh, went and got, um, went and got checked out the next day. And, you know, the doc said, well, you're going nowhere. We need to get you in and get you. Had the old up and down, and uh, yeah, the the um, the specialist in town here, his words to me were, he said, "You, you got very impressive ulcers." Um, <laughs> said, "There's some of what the most wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the most impressive ulcers I've seen for a while." It's like great. I yeah. um, I don't uh, I don't really need to hear that, mm. but yeah, I was I was a mess, and I just. You know, you, you succumb to that. So they, I had three months off and I literally never went back. Mm. And um, and that's where, you know, you guys have just been an amazing help. You know, you really, really have. It's, um, you know, your man out there, Daniel. Daniel, yeah. He's a bloody legend. Um, and, you know, they've been, you know, helping me through that whole process, um, you know, whether it be with the... Uh, you know, both the claims really, but yep. your income protection and all the rest of it. Um, you know, and that's the advice you'd give to anybody is is always seek professional help. Um, and you guys, you know, right from the outset, um, when we, we first came to you after, because I had no reason to come and see you for no. for, for a, mm. I had no wealth, <laughs> well, as in all your money was tied up in your business. Yeah. But after the sale, you know, it was like, well, we're going to, we're going to go and get some professional help in what we do here and where we put our money. And you know, we'd, I'd done the research, and you guys certainly come up trumps in town. So, and you have, you've done a fantastic job all the way through for us, and I'm very appreciative. But um, you know, over that period too, and you know, still now, uh, Daniel's. Doing a wonderful, wonderful job. So, but yeah, go and get professional help and advice. Um, you know, people that try and battle through through it themselves. I think it's it's a foolish thing to do. Yeah. Well, not foolish. It's you know, some people look at the dollars and go, "Well, geez, it's not worth it," yeah. or I can I can invest myself and save that money. It's at times like this you realise it's worth every cent. Well, I remember going through, you know, that period. I remember how tough it was for you and I remember the conversations that we had and a yep. lot of them for a period of time they weren't about money, right? It was about yeah. what, what is going on and, yep. and, and it was an interesting – it was interesting sitting on my side of the table was there was a – you know, was a lot of – I mean, I take it at, I mean, my take on what our job through that period, whether it was Daniel or Paul or whoever it was, was just to give you – the information that you needed, mm. not that you wanted, <laughs> yep. and and help you on that journey because I couldn't change what was going on. I remember that was a really difficult time for you, that whole COVID bit because we were having conversations about the money. This was before yep. the episode you've just talked about. And as I recall, and you, you might like to touch on this, a lot of the conversations you were taking what was happening in your world and can saying, well, everything else that happens in the world, whether it be investment markets, have to be doing the same, blowing up the same as you. And that was – and you weren't the only client that we dealt yep. with in that period of time and it was quite an interesting time for me to go through that because I didn't, we, even the GFC we hadn't 
realise that because this yep. was a health crisis yep. that then just got conveyed to, you know, suddenly when everyone thinks they're going to die, that's a whole different world that we're going to run out of money. You know? Yeah, correct. Correct. No, it was. And it was it was a concerning time because I know we went and had a, had a sandwich down at where it's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, my, my question to you was shouldn't we be pulling funds you know, I'm really, really nervous about where we're going here and, uh, you know, where that money's sitting now, it's done okay to this point. Um, should we be converting some of that to cash? I think I hadn't talked to you about gold. You should did. we be looking at, you know, doing something with gold, blah, blah, blah? But, you know, you reassured us and said, hey, it's you're here for the long term. You're not here for the short term. And um, um, I don't know how you knew uh, maybe you're like us. <laughs> you're, uh, you're amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a case of you know, look, uh, I don't believe your your fears are necessarily mm. warranted. That we're we're in the right place. We're with the right stocks, um, and it'll be okay. And it it wasn't just okay. It was amazing. Mm. You know what happened over that period because we then went into building a house as well. As yeah, well I remember right? that was an interesting and conversation. You were, you know, like, yeah, okay. How much you're spending? And it's like you started there and you finished where. <laughs> anyway, that's Ash Mosley's problem. Yes, was yeah. the one that charged it. Um, Got a great house though. Yeah, it's a beautiful home. Um, you both still haven't been up for a beer. No, we, need, we need to try that kegerator. Yeah, well, we you do. do. Yeah. You do. It's got to be uh, – anyway, <laughs> it's um, – but no, you're right because it's, you know, over that period, Paul, um, we were actually in a position where we we did a withdrawal mm-hmm. um, for a certain amount of money and that money was literally – what those funds had made over that period. Yeah. And we ended up at the same net result. Mm. Um, and it was like, wow, you know, that's that's pretty incredible. So, yeah, absolutely. It's um, uh, We've been delighted with, um, yeah, just with all the services that you guys offer. I know this podcast is not a <laughs> no, podcast no, about no, you. No, no, no. But, uh, but no, it, appreciate it, that. Appreciate but it's, those it's comments, been, Yeah, it, we absolutely do, but, I, you know, to the other side, it's a bit like some of the stuff we've talked through here. The beauty, I think, of the what I'd like to think the reason we've been able to do that is because you and Jan, from the very beginning, were very open with taking advice but also allowing us to go on the journey about where it was you wanted to go. Sure. And that's the – I know when sometimes we come up with new clients and they go, oh, well, I've got this, and I go, well, no, 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 what I actually want to understand is what's the purpose, where, where are you going? Mm-hmm. Because yep. unless we know that, we can't actually put the context – around sure. why we're doing it, which yep. was, I think, the reason we were able to add some comfort through that period of time because we actually had – you'd allowed us to understand what you were which, trying to do. So which, I really appreciate that. Which, sure. based on your story, is something that you've, you've done all the way through. Correct. You mentioned to us earlier about right. the business, getting a professional in board to yeah. open up and tell you what's, what's wrong and, and take that on board that you, you may or may not like it, but you take it on board and – and oh, absolutely, Paul. It's and you know, as I've already said, it's surround you, surround mm. yourself with good people. You know, um, it, it's you know, as Dad always used to say, it's an old cliche. But you sleep with dogs, you'll get fleas. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You want to go and buy something cheap? Well, you're going to get something cheap. Yeah, pay um, twice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you want quality, well, you know, go and 
invest once and do it right. So, James, um, can I can I just touch briefly on um, you and, and what you give back to the, or gave back or, or still do? I don't know if you still do or uh, through the period of giving back to the, the tourism, tourism industry, whether it be via sitting on certain different boards and what have you. You mentioned right at the the start how you had plenty of people that helped you yeah. get through business. My imagination is that you probably provide the same to other people that had came in over time. What in regards to giving back to the industry, what yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I've always been a um, and it, this has been instilled in us, you know, by our dad. Um my dad, no different to yours, you know, mm-hmm. as in that his uh, dad was always a somebody that gave back wherever he could give back. And I think it's important. Uh, I think it's really important. You know, it's pretty easy to get involved in an industry and, you know, just take, take, take. Um, and that's not what it's about. Um, yeah, it's – I suppose where I've I've tried to give back, Paul has been – uh, I have sat on a lot, quite a few boards, you know, a lot of boards, a lot of committees. Um, yeah, I sat on the, um, you know, the Australian Tourism Export Council board for four or five years. Um, that's, you know, predominantly deals with the inbound industry. And um, yeah, that was, you know, a really enjoyable time. In fact, I've found every board I've sat on to be, you know, enjoyable experiences Yes, there's a, there's quite a bit of time and effort that you got to put into them, but it's like anything. You you and you don't sit on boards for what you get out of no. them. Anybody that takes that approach is doing it for all the wrong reasons. But ultimately, there is always something that comes out of it, whether it's just a personal friendship yep. or a, mm. whatever it may be. You, you'll always get something back. But uh, I sat on the. Um, Tourism Tropical North Queensland uh, board for 10 years. I was deputy chair there for six. Um, Tourism Events Queensland uh, sat on that board as well, but it's North Queensland ATEC branch. Well, look, there's there's a multitude of, um, of boards that you see. You know, it's not just boards. They're committees, advisory yep. committees, whatever. Um, the people that helped us in our early days were just, you know, like Dennis Ferguson, Dennis Donaghy, they took me under the wing. I didn't mm. have a clue what what inbound tourism was and those guys, they just took you under your wing and off you went. Toddy Parker, you know, was a guy that took me around the world and, yeah. and introduced me to wholesalers all over the world and had to take me back a second time to apologise. <laughs> uh, for him or for you? <laughs> for me. Uh, I guess I was like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, it's people have given so freely and it's. I think it's one of the beautiful things about our industry, not just ours, I'm sure every other industry is the same, but people are just so willing to, to give you um, whatever knowledge you need. Um, and, yeah, look, I'm more than happy to sit down and I do with people that will just ring out the blue to say, hey, what do you think? Yep. Yes, I have been approached to sit on a, a couple of more boards since. Um I've actually said no to those. Uh, Had an interrupt with the caravanning and the touring. Well, way. of course it would. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got a grandchild now. And You're, I've, wow. I've never been busier in my life doing nothing. So it's, um, but it's not that I don't want to. I yep. would like to get back involved at some point, but just based on the experience that I've talked about, yep. you know, where I ended up, mm. I still have my, you know, I still have my struggle days. 
Um, Even now, you're not over. You're not not right. You know you're not right. And I wouldn't want to sit on a board um, if I knew that I was still going to have you know, some dark days. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you're not 100% correct and 100% right, I don't think you should probably be there. Yeah. And so that's the only reason I've said no. But, yeah, look, I'd encourage anybody that in any industry to wherever you can just get involved, yeah. uh, get involved in your industry and and take, uh, take time to understand how it can be improved and, you know, where you – and it's funny because a lot of people say, well, how do you know you're right for a board? It's like, well – if you've got experience in in an industry of any kind, that you've got something to contribute. Mm. Don't ever think you haven't got something to contribute because you have. You know, you'll be amazed once you get involved. You know, something will be said, and you go, "Hang on, I can actually yeah. tell you," or "I've had experience in that," or "When we did that." Um, so, yeah, it's it's. I think it's probably an area where. Um, we could grow a little bit more in it. And I think as a country, our whole country has been built yeah. on people that just give it their time. And yeah. I know you guys do the same. Um, and it's what makes this, this country grind to a halt if people, uh, people didn't put their hand yeah. up to, to get involved. So, yeah, it's just mm. it's a beautiful industry. I've loved it. It's been kind to me. Um, so I always wanted to give back wherever you could. Mate, I think that's a great message, and that's it's been an absolutely fascinating chat. You know, it's um, it's been a, it's it's it's. A, I mean, I knew some of the story, but to actually the way you've yeah. shared um, and taken us on that journey through the trials and tribulations, and there's a couple of for me a couple of really key messages that came out of that. One is um, you've you've said it a couple of times. If you know, if you don't know something, find someone who does, yeah. <laughs> and and take the advice. And yeah. generally, professionally, I know you've got great relationships with Joe from an accounting point of view. You had great relationships with bankers over a period of time yeah. that have helped you through that. I think that's that's great. The other thing that I think was really powerful was listen to your customers, actually understand what it is you're doing, and yeah. they're your best feedback loop, right? Anything that we do, we've got to we've got to learn, we've got to grow. Um, and, and, and certainly from that point, the urgency to 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 make action on the spot mm. when you're getting that feedback. I thought that. Yeah. That was great. That was yeah. great. And, mate, and I think, you know, not only is tourism and uh, this commu- this town has been built on a sense of community, right? Mm-hmm. For me it's still – it's a village, right? Correct. You're only one step removed from anybody and, and, you, and you never know who you can help and where you can go. And if this town does well, we all do well. Sure. Which is, That's I think absolutely a, correct. Yeah, a great thing. So, mate, thank you very much for coming in. It's been an unbelievable chat. You've been really open and, and honest with the listeners, which I think is really mm-hmm. powerful. And, mate, we really appreciate you spending a Friday morning chatting with us. No, my pleasure. I was a bit surprised you did it on a Friday morning, not a Friday afternoon. (laughs) You don't want to see anything on a Friday afternoon. Mate, I do have to uh, apologise. I know you're a mad AFL man and we've put you in the cauldron here surrounded by rugby league uh, memorabilia, mate. But, uh, yeah, and you you played a bit AFL in your day in the Riverina area? Yeah, did I? Yeah. Uh, play, I actually played league all my life until I was uh, till I was 19 and didn't play my first game of AFL until 19 but had one game and went, how long has this been going on? <laughs> uh, you get a free kick for tackling something. It was like, that's pretty cool. Uh, but, yeah, so I no, played a bit of AFL yeah. down with the uh, Lethen Stars so uh, in the Riverina League. So, 
That was, uh, yeah, no, I love, I do yeah. love the AFL. I mean, I still keep an eye on all sport, as yeah. you do. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The fact that you're a cockroach, we won't hold against you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, well, funnily enough, I've been, a, I, I've been a token Queenslander forever. I've followed, yeah. have actually followed Queensland. Wow. Always went for Queensland, even when living in New South Wales, because that's where they used to get flogged. Yeah. Mm. So they'd get absolutely bashed up big time and it's like, ah, oh, this is not right. Um, knowing because Artie Beetson was always my hero right, as a yeah, football really. player and him being a Queenslander, it's yeah. like, well, no, it's, I've got to go for Artie's. So I've always <laughs> been a token Queenslander. I must have knew I was coming here one day. Well, there we we'll go. That's another it. good thing we know yeah, about absolutely. you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> right, thanks again. Thanks, and uh, Thanks, listeners. Jump on the Facebook page and give us some feedback about the chat. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. podcast is for informational purposes only and the information contained is of a general nature and may not be relevant to your particular circumstances. The circumstances of each investor are different and you should seek advice from a professional financial advisor who can consider if particular strategies and products are right for you. In all instances where information is based on historical performance, it is important to understand this is not a reliable indicator of future performance. You should not rely on any material on this podcast to make investment decisions and should seek professional advice.